0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Be Real podcast. I am your host, Michelle Demuria. My co-host, Tony ann is a little under the weather tonight, so she will not be joining us this morning. Tony ann feel better. We'll see you next week. I am so excited for today's guest. We have the one, the only, Megan Porth. She's awesome. I've known her for the past two years. She's incredible. She has this amazing personality. Megan, thank you for joining us this morning.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Michelle. This is so fun
0: it is and it's a great way for people to get to know one another virtually yeah. and six feet apart <laughs> Right?
1: Yeah, we're, 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 we're not touching we're not even in
0: the same room
1: guys i promise no <laughs>
0: so megan why don't you start off and tell us a little about yourself are you a phoenician are you have you been here your entire life
1: i'm actually not a phoenician but i am i was born and raised in arizona i was born and raised in a little town Um, in Western Arizona called Lake Havasu City. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's like spring break capital of the world. Um, That's not why it's famous for me necessarily. Um, We also have the London Bridge there, which is really, really cool. It was really interesting to kind of have that link to some European history as a kid, because I think we don't have as much of that here on the West Coast. We don't have the architecture like they do on the East Coast that really links them to some of our roots and our heritage. So it was really nice to have this piece of history, uh, you know, bridging the little island that they created in Havasu and the rest of the mainland. And it's it's really fun. It actually is a really fun city to grow up in, but I did move to Phoenix um, for more opportunities. (laughs) if you go to college here, which by the way, they've actually, ASU, um, Arizona State University has opened up a campus. I believe NAU and U of A have as well in some of these smaller communities. Um, So you can go to ASU if you live in Havasu. But at the time, uh, over 20 years ago, you couldn't. So I moved out to Phoenix in 1999 to uh, attend Arizona State University. Um, I actually, my undergrad degree, you'll laugh knowing I'm a, a lawyer now, but my undergrad degree was in broadcast journalism. I was a videographer. Wow. Yeah, I did awesome. documentaries and different things like that. I absolutely loved it. I loved it. I still do. Actually, I still love videography and film. My my family hates watching movies with me <laughs> because I'm like, oh, I don't know. I just really felt like they fell short on some of the compositions and they're like, oh my gosh, just enjoy it. <laughs> so It's really interesting when you talk to different lawyers about their undergrad because it's not like medical school or doctors where you have a pre-med and you go into medical school. Um, We really we come from a really uh, diverse background. You have people who were formerly doctors, people who were formerly um, pilots, uh, people who were nurses. We had a lot of people who um, were poli sci undergrad majors, of course. Hmm. Um, There's no pre-law. There's really no pre-law. So many of us come from a, a lot of diverse backgrounds. So the great thing about that, I think as a lawyer and and, and one of the benefits as far as law school is concerned whenever you, you you come in contact with an attorney is they haven't had such a narrow focused education. So they have a lot of general knowledge that they can also bring to the practice, which is really nice.
0: So do you have any kids? Are you married? And yeah. the reason I bring this up is because with with employees, I know you have to be really careful with what you ask a potential employee. So that's yes. kind of why I, I kind of snaked this question because it's something mm-hmm. that I get a lot of, of emails about is how do you ask questions like this? Because as you know, I work in the mental health community and we have to be really right. careful with asking people if they have a mental illness. So I know this kind of falls in line with that. So could yeah. you share a little about that from your professional side as well as personal side
1: yeah yeah definitely so i am a mother i'm married and i have two daughters Uh, my oldest is 16 so um send me all of your strength and um my youngest is eight and they're just i mean they're everything they're wonderful they're amazing i feel actually Like I'm a better uh, lawyer and a better human because of my kids. Um, But with that, uh, you can't ask me that if you're my employer. (laughs) You can't ask me if I'm married. You can't ask me how old I am. You can't ask me my sexual orientation, my age, my religion, my race, whether I have any medical issues. Um, uh, The only thing that that can come up is, of course, if somebody asks for accommodations. Um, So if I need reasonable accommodations, then an employer needs to afford those to me. And reasonableness is a a term we'll hear a lot in the law. And it's something that actually I think should give people a lot of hope when it comes to um, our jurisprudence. American jurisprudence is based on this concept, the concepts of reasonableness and fairness. I know there are many times when it doesn't feel that way, when someone when justice is not served but generally, let's say the underground and the the fundamental ideology is based on these concepts of fairness. So when we look at reasonableness when it comes to accommodations, um, we're not asking the employer to go above and beyond and bankrupt her business in order to accommodate someone with a disability. Um, What we're asking for her to do is just come up to a reasonableness level. If you have an employee who needs to work from home for whatever reason, whether it's a physical or a mental disability, then you need to go ahead and afford that if possible, right? The reasonableness level. If it can't be done, let's say you have a brick and mortar retail shop and, and, and she can't call, phone this one in or call it in or do it over the internet, then, then we're not asking you to somehow create some kind of miracle or, or go outside of realistic boundaries. Um, but if you can afford that, then you need to, it's, it's actually uh, federal law.
0: Now with COVID you know kind of taking over the world right now and right people are in fear they're in fear to go back to work actually in their buildings if someone oh, yeah. says to their boss I don't feel safe going back can they legally say that and can the does the employer have the does the employer have to fulfill that need to allow them to work from home for them to feel safe
1: so I'm going to give you the really annoying Uh, lawyer answer to that and it is it depends (laughs) and this is something that I hear all the time people get really irritated oh yeah the lawyer answer it depends but it really does each Factual situation is different and it needs to be analyzed on a on a situation by situation basis as far as again What is reasonable here, right? What is the reasonable level is the employer taking the reasonable precautions that he or she is supposed to take pursuant to that jurisdictions uh, guidelines So what I always tell all of my employers when it comes to how do I prepare my workspace for my employees coming back is at a minimum follow your state guidelines That's the bare minimum that you need to follow. Um, I always like to also look to see what the CDC and the WHO are recommending, Um, but really let's focus on a state by state jurisdictional guideline, because the truth is, is that is the law that governs you, right? That's the law that governs your business and your employees. Um, It also, because COVID is different in each location, right? It's very different in New York state uh, versus Arizona state, right? I mean, we have very different um, uh, uh, situations as far as how the outbreak is affecting us. So you really wanna focus on your state guidelines, follow those absolutely to a T, that should be your bare minimum where you start. And then you can go up from there. There is some tension, though, that there, Michelle, between you going above and beyond and trying to make it um, absolutely, uh, you know, inoculate everyone from any possibility of contracting the virus. That is impossible. Right. Okay? Okay. Can't do. And this is something I talk about fairly frequently regarding um, mitigating the the difference between mitigating liability and completely eliminating liability. You cannot eliminate liability, you can't eliminate risk. Every day that we get up, put on our clothes and go outside or go downstairs to our our (laughs) office, as obviously we are right now, we are taking a risk, right? We are risking our lives. And I know that sounds really melodramatic, but really we kind of are in a way. Um, So we cannot eliminate it. What we're always looking to do is to mitigate the risk. So when your employee says to you, I do not feel safe coming into work anymore, then your answer is, I'm going to try to accommodate up to a reasonable level, but at a minimum, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that the state guidelines are being followed. And if there is not um, a restriction on that type of profession coming in to work in the office, then the truth is in that employee needs to come in if they, if possible. The employer can't be expected to to just sit and wait and not have that employee come in and then also continue to pay her.
0: Right, now with people having like underlying conditions, weak mm-hmm. immune systems, yep. do they have to provide documentation to their employees stating, this is why I cannot go back into the office until there's a vaccine for COVID.
1: So generally, again, it depends. Okay. It depends. And, but here's my recommendation. My recommendation is for anyone out there who believes that they cannot go into their workplace because of an underlying medical condition and their workplace cannot accommodate them to ensure that they are uh, have, have reduced the risk of transmission as much as they possibly can, call a lawyer. Call a lawyer to discuss your rights and what can and can't be done. What, because you don't wanna just hand over all of your medical information to anybody, right? You really wanna make sure that you're protecting your health information as much as you possibly can. Um, and you really wanna make sure that what you're asking of the employer can be done and that you also know what your rights are and what your resources are if let's say for instance you do end up having to leave that place of employment because you want to know what your avenues are before you take any action.
0: Right. Now one big area that's been hit is nonprofits. And you know, even though I'm not an official nonprofit yet, I do have my fiscal sponsor. So a lot of things I've been seeing is events. How do you yes. get event contracts? Yes how to get refunds back, um, you know, mm-hmm. how to protect yeah. yourself moving forward when reserving a space because we don't know what's going to happen in the right. fall. What are your tips, guidelines when it comes to events, nonprofits, contracts, and things like that?
1: Yes, and I'm so happy you asked this question because I get this all the time. Um, Obviously, in many contracts, you have a provision called the force majeure provision. Um, And we call these acts of God, force majeure and act of God is not necessarily an interchangeable term, but we understand them to kind of mean the same thing in contract law. And what this means is that if there is something that happens that is outside of your control of either party right depending on who needs to perform on the contract that is stopping you from performing what you're supposed to perform under the contract then you are excused from performance Okay, so that's, that's one avenue, that's one element of the analysis. So do I have to perform? So I have a contract with uh, a venue that says that I'm going to provide um, uh, a, a food truck or entertainment, something. Um, do I have to perform even though it's unsafe um, uh, or, or I feel that it's unsafe? Is there an act of God or some force majeure provision that protects me? Yes, as long as it is something that's out of your control, that you cannot remedy and that it is actually a force majeure. So when the governor in in Arizona instructed us that we could not have groups of 10 or more people at events, that is 100 percent a force majeure. Right. Well, I can't do it. I mean, it's actually illegal for me to facilitate and perform on this contract. Right. once the governor lifted those restrictions, however, and and, and, and maybe even increase the number of people that were allowed, it, you actually have lost your force majeure protection at that point. So for a lot of people, what we're adding to their contracts is a pandemic COVID-19. Uh, provision. It's a special provision that allows the business, the vendor, the provider to do what he or she feels best in that environment. So there are a number of different creative ways to handle this. So if there is, um, for instance, if, if you see a spike in cases in Arizona that is 20% or more, you know, three days before the event, you are allowed to terminate the contract. If, you, if, if there are um, any gov- governor's orders that are restricting or if you're even very close to the number of people who are uh, uh, going to be in attendance, let's say it's restricted to 50 and you've, you've got 49, we can terminate, right? Those kinds of things, because remember in contract law, Michelle, we're creating the law between us. We don't have to necessarily always worry about what the law is in the jurisdiction. that We can't violate those laws. But when it comes to our law, what I get to do in our contract, I can actually make that up myself. I can say if if there is if there's a thunderstorm in Tennessee on Thursday, I don't have to perform on this agreement. You're allowed to do those things. Um, Now, when it comes to conversely and you are holding the event and you have these vendors who are canceling, it's going to be the terms of the contract. If there's a force majeure provision and there's an executive order or an actual act of God or an an event that you cannot perform because of, then you're protected under the force majeure provision. If there isn't a force majeure provision, then it is negotiations wild, wild west. It is, see what you can get um and and try to utilize again this concept of reasonableness and fairness and this is what i think we're seeing more right now michelle is i think we're seeing people who are not acting in a reasonable and fair way people who are withholding um the security deposits regardless of the damages that they've been inflicted Now, keep in mind though security deposits for um especially in an event planning situation are not just there because the vendor wants to uh, keep your money. They're there because they're supposed to account for the amount of work, upfront work that they've done to prepare for the event, to get the staffing on board, to get the equipment that's necessary to buy the specific software licenses. They actually have some hard upfront costs. So the security deposit is supposed to not only hold that date so that they can tell other people no, right? Because that, that would be a loss of income if I had to say no to you and 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 then suddenly um, that has now canceled and that spot is open, but it's also there to account for the hard costs, which is generally what contract law is always looking to do. We're always trying to keep everyone whole. So if, if I had upfront costs, but the event was canceled, it doesn't mean that I necessarily am allowed to go and charge you the full amount, but I should be able to be recouped for the costs that I had, including my own time that I put into preparing for it. So keep that in mind when it comes to security deposits, this is what we're seeing a lot of. But the good news is, Michelle, I can tell you as a contracts attorney who receives tons of calls about this particular matter is the majority of the businesses that I work with are working with their vendors and or the event planners. They're actually working together, and I can't stress this enough how how important it is to utilize some self-help in these situations. As Americans, we are not necessarily taught that we are excellent negotiators, but we are, Michelle. We are. Um, in other countries where you have to negotiate, right, because your economy demands it, um, they have more skills, they feel more comfortable with it. So we aren't used to negotiating as much, right? So this is a wonderful opportunity to negotiate. Remember that negotiations are not two people screaming numbers at each other on other sides of the aisle. What it really truly is, is me asking you questions, Michelle, what, what can I do? What do I have that can help you? Maybe it's outside of this contract. Maybe it's a totally different matter, but what can I do to help you to help mitigate your losses? It might not be this specific instance. I might not be able to have the event still. I might not be able to provide you with the entertainment, but what can I do? Can we book it a little bit later? Can we hold your deposit and keep that as a deposit for, for a year's worth of credits? Could you donate it? Could you, I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities that are available. And this is a wonderful way to be altruistic is by working together, not making a judge or a lawyer or the the government tell you how to run your business and how to handle these interpersonal matters, you really taking control of it and saying, all right, this is what's going on. We all know that COVID is affecting everyone. The governor has has, has uh, lifted some of the restrictions on the number of people who can come in, but the truth is we still don't feel totally comfortable. But here is what we would like to present to you. Be proactive, be assertive about it, and be very confident in your ability to come up with some creative problem solving options when it comes to uh, canceling events.
0: Now with canceling events comes bills, you know that you where you have to pay bills for those events, you know, you get contractors. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that because the if the events is what you're raising the money to help pay for those bills and then you don't have the event, how do you protect yourself in those cases?
1: So I think if you are executing new contracts post COVID-19, make sure you include a provision that talks about your ability to terminate. And this is something that I highly recommend talking to a lawyer about because this language can get very tricky, especially because it's unprecedented, right? We really haven't experienced a a pandemic in 100 years. So uh, we really don't have uh, a lot to go on as far as, uh, you know, oh, I'm gonna Google and find some, some legal language online and, and just tweak it. <laughs> you really wanna make sure that you're talking to a lawyer about this and all of your contracts and, and, and the lawyer can draft up a nice provision that you can put into all of your agreements. So if you are planning events from this day forward, make sure you include some kind of lang- language for COVID-19. And it's going to be different for every client Michelle, right? Some clients are not as concerned about the virus, right? They just aren't. They're it's fine, you know, if if the governor shuts us down, then um then then obviously we'll comply with the law. But really we're not concerned about it. But that and then there are other groups for whatever reason right, everybody has their own reasons for this, who are more concerned about it and need provisions that are specifically tailored to them. No, I do not want to participate. I do not want to put my employees at risk. I don't want to bring my vendors down there because that does increase your liability, right, as well. So include from this day forward, provisions regarding COVID-19 or any kind of pandemic to make sure that you have a lot of freedom that works specifically for your business, your instance, For contracts that have already been executed, and if we don't have a restriction and your force majeure provision is not protecting you, then it's negotiations, negotiations, negotiations. And with negotiations, I highly recommend being as proactive as you possibly can about this. What I can tell you leads to disputes more often than anything that I experience here. And when I say a dispute, I'm talking about, I'm gonna file a complaint in court and I'm gonna sue you is ignoring the matter, pretending like it doesn't exist, pretending like it's going to go away if I just kind of ignore it and oh well, they know it's covid nineteen i don't want to have to deal with this, you know those kinds of things these these kind of psychological things that we tell ourselves, these stories we tell ourselves as to why we aren't actually facing what happened. If you're, if you can sign the contract, if you can run the business, then I promise you, you can face what's happening today. You just have to do so in a very reasonable, calm way and address it, actually address it with the vendor. That bill that you have, hey, we're not having the event, we're a nonprofit, we didn't the, the event was supposed to pay for your services, but you aren't providing the services. You aren't there. You may be out because you had um, you had to say no to another event because of my event Um, and maybe you can cover those costs. Right. What hard costs do you have? We'll see how we can cover those for you so that each party is whole, because keep in mind, Michelle, we are going to recover from all of this. We're going to come back from COVID-19. So you want to still have those relationships with people. You don't want to be the guy who said nah, never mind. Sorry. Too bad. So sad. Now, you may be in that position. Your company may have zero dollars that you can expend on this and that's okay just I think the communication and letting those vendors know the position that you're in you're doing your best you're gonna try to get creative again what do you need what can we do can we promote you on our website can we invite you on our podcast can we do whatever it is to get that name out there or to help that vendor who you can no longer pay
0: now, with nonprofits, we do have a different set of rules when it comes to promoting companies and services. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you touch briefly on the language we could use in those to get creative where we still help those companies, but we still fall in line with the IRS so we don't get in trouble?
1: Yes. So um, I can't give you the specific language because it's going to be different for each organization, but you always want to have some kind of non endorsement language. Right. So this, the, these are not necessarily the views of. Our organization. Uh, we do not endorse this specific person, their product, or their services. Um, those are really important things to disclaim at all times. Um, especially if you have a podcast and you're you're kind of um, uh, uh, inviting people on, uh, you want to make sure that you are making it very clear. And and Michelle, as I probably told all of my clients, you probably heard me say this a hundred times. Put it in as many places as you can. When you start your podcast, start with it, right? Have an intro recorded or you start it yourself and and, and start and end the podcast with that. Just, you know, as a clarifying, uh, this is, we, we do not endorse the goods and services or products that are being offered by our guests. We are simply asking the guests to come on and talk about what they do and to give us a little bit of advice and to talk through some of these issues. And then also, write it up, put it on your website, put it on wherever you're streaming the podcast, put it on your social media websites um, or or, or any of those platforms to make sure that it is very clear that you're not promoting any of these businesses and funneling, because what you don't wanna do is you don't wanna funnel all of your listeners to one or two or three different products right Right. what you really want to make sure you're not doing it doing here so um one of the options that we always tell everybody is invite a bunch of different people who provide the same kind of services right we have lawyers you know have a couple of lawyers on have a couple of accountants on have a couple of marketers on and again you keep saying we don't endorse this marketer we're not We're not directing you there. And also any of the questions or anything that you're providing through these um, mediums with these uh, vendors of yours, just make sure that your questions are, are actually valuable for your listeners. It's not just one big paid advertisement. (laughs) and you know the difference right so it's like tell me um uh, why should a client work with you versus another attorney I mean that is like very clearly a leading question getting me to promote my business um you really want to make sure that when you're talking about these things when you're inviting subject matter experts on that you focus on the subject matter not the expert
0: Right, which is why, like a lot of my people have come, are you know how it's COVID impacted them? How can yes. ho, how can you help others that COVID have impacted? And, you know, because exactly. mental health is huge right now, being impacted yes. in all sorts of organizations, businesses, professions, you name it. Mental health is being impacted in so many ways right now.
1: One hundred percent. I mean, it's that is the one thing I. I can say that I have seen um, across the board in my personal and professional life is that everybody is struggling with this, Um, some physically, right, Um, but all mentally and um, and, and, and the one thing I will say about this whole thing, Michelle, is I think that there was a really, really strong movement toward um, acknowledgement and understanding of mental um, health issues prior to COVID-19, but I do believe that there will be some good things that do come out of this pandemic. And one of them I'm hoping Is that we start to kind of um, uh, look at mental health as a national issue, right? Something that we need to emphasize, something that we need to have as far as conversations are concerned, contingency plans, understanding, awareness, um, uh, the language, right? It becomes second language for us to really understand, oh well someone has PTSD so we want to make sure that we're really careful with this, this, and this. Where it's almost like we just, it, it, it actually becomes second nature for us. It's, it's nothing that's, that feels weird or awkward to talk about, right? We're just talking about it because it is an absolute fact. It's absolutely natural. And I think that's what COVID-19 might do for us that we all acknowledge that, yeah, this is affecting us greatly, greatly. And um, from, from my, all the way from my eight-year-old all the way up to my 70 plus-year-old parents.
0: Now, are we legally allowed to ask where products come from to make sure the safety because I know like people are concerned of products coming from China or overseas as we start getting back into doing events and getting products and t-shirts, are we legally allowed to ask where are your products coming from? Of course.
1: Yes. Most definitely. And I highly recommend doing that. I recommend doing that um, in every aspect of your life regardless of COVID 19 to determine um where your products are coming from where they're being made um, and of course this is not a legal thing this is more of a kind of moral thing as far as i'm concerned um, to determine uh where you're patronizing where your money is going because in a constitutional constitutional democracy like we live in um we have two ways that we vote, Michelle, right? Our, our one way is, is obviously in our, in our uh, uh, electorate. We, we get to actually cast a vote for our representatives um but the other way which we vote constantly all day every day we have more votes is with our dollars and i do feel like because we are in a capitalist society and and we have also these relationships with other countries which are capitalist quasi-capitalist social capitalist either way we get to vote on, on on our on on our stance and if you do not believe that a company or a country is treating its its workers or its people well enough, then do not vote for them.
0: Now that's really good information. Cause I know like that's like I said, I've got a lot of emails about that. Uh, can we ask about our products? Because they don't wanna offend the people, but at the same time they wanna make sure that they're getting quality products and they they feel secure passing those products out to... Yeah. You know their guests
1: sometimes you just don't want to send money to a country that you do not believe is treating its citizens the way that you believe they should be treated and that is 100 percent acceptable and in fact i feel like it's one of the more powerful votes we have in this country
0: now when it comes to events in the fall since kind of looping around since we're not or since we're unsure if the if this country is going to be closed down again the state when we put events up for people to buy tickets for, should we put a clause in there stating that, you know, some of you may get refunds back if the government government says you can only have 50 people at this event and 100 people sign up? How would you take care of that so people will still want to attend your events later on, but right. you make sure you're legally... So whenever
1: I get these kinds of questions, I always talk about the difference between um, you have the legal analysis and then you have the kind of common sense analysis. So the legal analysis is whatever the language is on the ticket, or the contract, if you will, you have to comply with. So if you are concerned about, again, an activity or an action happening that's outside of your control that will not allow you to perform on the contract, you wanna make sure that you have that language specifically written in uh, somewhere where if they're, if they're buying the ticket online, then you need to make sure that it's in the terms and conditions. Um, if you're selling them, uh, in person, then you need to make sure it's printed somewhere on the ticket. They need to know this before they actually buy the ticket. Okay. So they need to know what the terms are. Um, you can't add terms later after somebody's purchase. It's, it, it's, it, um, it, it violates contract law. You don't have a binding agreement, a meeting of the minds. But, um, with that said, when it comes to what to do in those situations i always want to make sure that clients are taking into consideration the long-term impact of their actions so you have contract law and and i don't know if you know this michelle but i'm actually a, a wish grantor with the make-a-wish foundation and one of the things that we talk about all the time with the make-a-wish foundation is we want to under promise and over deliver for the kids right so i've actually implemented that concept in all of my contracts. In your contract under promise, right? So uh, this this event is not going to occur if there is this, this and this and you will not get your money back, right? Like you can say that. However, when it comes to situations that are um, uh, exceptional and outside of, of someone's control, my recommendation would be to actually work with them and to not be so hard nosed about everything um as long as your contract is written properly you can actually uh uh, make those changes and and not not put the contract at risk you can uh ensure that you are doing the right thing but still not violating your own rights and 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 eliminating those rights um you want to make sure that you're you're obviously talking to a lawyer about any of that language it's really really important you get that reviewed but when we when it comes to how we operate our business i always tell everyone in the contract, we under-promise, but then you can over-deliver in your business because there's more than just the legalities of it, right? How is that gonna look if you uh, try to hold people to something that they absolutely had no control over, right? Legally, you may be, a judge may look at you and say you are 100% correct, but then the, think about the damage that it can have to the reputation of the company if the rest of the community sees you as being um, uh, uh, unhelpful or uh, un- unusually or unnecessarily strict about the way that you're handling something, not empathetic. Um, those can actually go quite, quite far and in fact I have seen, we call it the court of public opinion, I have seen the court of public opinion do so much more damage than a court of law could ever do to a business. So keep that in mind. I always tell everybody when we're analyzing an issue, when a client calls me and says, Megan, can I do this? The analysis includes a legal analysis, but also a practical analysis. Yes, you can do it, but should you do it is the other question you should ask.
0: Are we uh, do we legally have to ask in like if we're doing an event and has food, if someone has a food allergy or needs ADA accommodations?
1: No, but I would Okay. or at a minimum, I would have some disclaimer. Please note that all of the food here is being prepared on shared kitchens uh, in environments that may include wheat, soy, gluten or the FDA actually has, I believe it's seven of the recognized uh, food allergies you just wanna go ahead and list them and say that on your ticket, on your event, please note that this event may contain items that have been prepared and or contain the items that are this, 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 and this. If you are allergic to any of these events, we recommend that you do not attend. So you don't have to ask, but I do recommend go ahead and, and, and putting those disclaimers out there. Because again, we have the legal analysis, okay, could you potentially be found liable for not disclosing this? Possibly. I'm not positive, but maybe but really more importantly, how would it look if you if if you injured or, or killed a small child, <laughs> you know, or a woman or a man or somebody who was who was allergic? You would really it just you, your business wouldn't really recover from something like that. The event wouldn't recover from something like that, even if you had all of these disclaimers and legally you weren't liable and and all of these different things it's still the right thing to do to go ahead and let people know what you're presenting and what they're getting into before they buy a ticket
0: okay that's good advice because i didn't i you know i was worried when it comes to food because i know there's peanuts peanut allergies there's there's so many different type of allergies out there now Are we allowed to ask venues if they're up to ADA um, code, especially when it comes like wheelchair access, elevators?
1: Okay. Yes, many event contracts and many contracts that deal with um, any kind of facilities do include um, some kind of provision that discusses ADA compliance. Um, So you can ask any of those questions. You can actually even include it in the contract that says that um, you, the, the venue, verify, acknowledge, confirm, that you are up to ADA compliance, and 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 the way that we written we write these terms in, the, in a contract, it's not just ADA compliance. It's actually, um, are, are, do you do you fulfill all of the safety standards? Has has the fire marshal come through and and and, and ensured that that you guys are compliant? Those kinds of things to make sure. And in fact, I recommend doing that, Michelle, because you don't want to be in a situation where you're in a venue that um, where there's a, a high level of risk, they don't have the requisite sprinklers, they don't have whatever needs to happen, the number of exits that you need for the number of people attending. Um, the fire marshal will get involved in almost all events, but I just really recommend that if, if the onus is placed on the venue to ensure that those things are complied with, then make sure that there's a provision in the contract that says, I am in compliance with all state laws, uh uh fire and safety laws, ADA compliance, federal laws and so on and so forth so that you actually so that they're affirming to you that they're they're actually doing this.
0: Would you also put a clause in there if the business goes bankrupt you get your money back or because you know we've heard of like the wedding dress uh situation where that where that company went under and the ladies did not get their their money back or their dresses so yeah so there's always
1: and in my contracts there's always provision that talks about um if if anyone is declared insolvent they um have a receiver appointed over their business uh they um, have filed for bankruptcy that um the contract is terminated
0: okay well megan you have been so helpful today for, before we wrap up, what would one, what would be one piece of advice you give people as they move forward through COVID-19?
1: I would say for most people to, and it's kind of two parts. Um, uh, the first part is to breathe. Um, and I don't say this to be condescending and uh, ethereal. Oh, just make sure you breathe through this. What I'm really saying is to take a, a number of deep breaths before your actions. So try to make sure that you Increase the amount of time between an action and your reaction and the reason is this because the brain needs time to catch up Right the prefrontal cortex kind of shuts down whenever we're in a stressful situation and it doesn't have the ability To control our emotions and to and to engage in that higher cognitive functioning and reasoning and creative problem solving so that's why I say take a breath what I see a lot is my clients reacting immediately and then later coming back and going I don't know why I did that and the reason is is because when we are in a stressful situation the brain goes into fight flight or freeze response it cannot think clearly it is only in survival mode so take a deep breath before you react to anything especially if there are legal ramifications extend the time between the action and your reaction. And then the next step is to reach out to subject matter experts. I cannot stress this enough, Um, attorneys, accountants, um, uh, some of the people in your industry, even even if you're regulated by a regulatory board, reach out to them, get to know your regulatory board really, really well, and make sure you're getting advice through all of this, because this is unprecedented. There aren't any subject matter experts that are gonna be able to give you a definitive answer on some of these things because we don't know. But the process of talking through, understanding, and uh, working hard to come up with a reasonable solution is not going, going to only benefit you because you'll have a better outcome, but it also helps if you're ever standing in front of a judge, Michelle, and they said, well, what did you do? And if your answer is, I got mad and I reacted, I just did the thing. You'll have a lot less clout in court and, and it, with the jury and amongst the jury of your peers than if you said, um, I waited a week, I contacted my lawyer, I contacted my accountant, we came up with a contingency plan, we came up with this strategic plan, and this is how we implemented after uh, a certain amount of time that we calmed down.
0: Again, Megan, thank you so much. It was such an honor having you on today. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you if they have any other questions after our podcast?
1: They can always go to my website. My website is a really great way to find us. It's www.yourcontractshop.com. That's Y-O-U-R contract shop, S-H-O-P.com. I have a number of blogs on there. I would read through all of them. Um, I'm going to do a blog on COVID-19 here in uh, the next week. And then they can always call and schedule a free uh, initial consultation with my law firm. So um, like I said, reach out to subject matter experts as many as you can.
0: Megan, thank you so much for joining us this week. We were so excited to have you. uh, Check out our podcast here live on Facebook. It'll be up on Spotify next week. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Michelle.